by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. Where are you, Isaiah? I know you're in there. We've been using this scripture pretty much since the pandemic began. It says, the Lord has given me strong warning not to think like the world thinks. He says, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Today, I want to focus in on that part. It says, don't call everything a conspiracy. It didn't say that there were no conspiracies going on. He said, just don't call everything a conspiracy. Now, we've been calling things a conspiracy so long now that when there may be a real conspiracy going on, nobody's listening because we've just been hollering, what do you call it, playing wolf or crying. We've been crying wolf for every little thing. That's why he said don't call everything a conspiracy because we've gotten to a point in society, my goodness, nobody knows which way's up. Nobody knows what's the truth. Nobody knows what's fake news and what's real news because we've called everything a conspiracy. But you say, but pastor, pastor, clearly this coronavirus thing, it's just a smokescreen. It's a Trojan horse. Can't you see it, pastor? Don't you know who's funding all this? Don't you know who stands to gain? It's the rich power brokers in the world. It's the politicians. It's the WHO. It's the media. It's the banks. It's the rogue governments. It's China. No, wait. It's Iran. No, it's North Korea. It, maybe it's Russia again. Who knows? And so we're calling everything a conspiracy. It's the new world order. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And I say, maybe, possibly, probably. <laughs> I'm just glad you woke up and came to the party. Welcome to the war. Hello, say it again. Welcome to the war, my friend. You know, I'll say this for the kingdom of darkness. At least they know they're at war. At least they know there's a fight going on. Ever since the devil first sensed that weakness in Eve, he's been trying to turn every situation for his good. Just the same as the kingdom of, of God is trying to advance, the kingdom of darkness is trying to exploit every opportunity as well. So if... You think that this or this may be a conspiracy? It may be. But I'm glad you're waking up and seeing that there is a war going on, church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Awake, elbow that sleepy spouse next to you and say, Awake, shake that kid over on the couch. Say, Awake. 
Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You want to really understand what's going on? God will give you the light. He'll give you the wisdom, the understanding when it's time. But you have to wake and realize that there is a battle going on for the souls of mankind. Jesus told his disciples, Guys, can't you stay awake one hour? Wake up, wake up, guys. You see, the days leading into Jerusalem, he was telling them clearly, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified by sinful men. They're going to treat me shamefully. He began to tell them details of what was about to happen. Did they listen? No. They weren't paying attention. So at the Last Supper, he reminds them again. He says, some of you, are going, you guys are going to leave me. No, we wouldn't do that. But they're not paying attention to what he's saying. And so he takes Peter, James, and John to the garden. He tells them to pray. He goes a little further. And he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He understands the enormity of the moment in which he's living. Do you? Jesus is praying sincerely. He's given it all he's got. And he comes back. And the disciples are asleep. Isn't that what the scriptures say? He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My friend, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to infuse our spirit so that we can stay awake. Can you not pray with me one hour, Jesus says. Wake up. Since the beginning of time, there's been a battle. We, we like to think because we got it so good here in America that there's, we don't have any battle. Our battle is just to see if I can save up enough money to get that new four-wheeler or this. Really? <laughs> you remember the Tower of Babel? That was when the world came together for a cause. They were going to build a tower so high that it stretched into the heavens. Now, my friends, this wasn't for world unity and space exploration that they were doing this. They wanted to go higher than God. They wanted to rule the world. And something in sinful mankind has always wanted to rule the world. And some of them have been successful. God has allowed certain kingdoms to rule the world. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar was the first. He was the king of Babylon. No, King Nebuchadnezzar, I call him King Nebo. King Nebo had a dream and he was upset. And he called in his astrologers and his wise men and palm readers, whoever that he trusted, and he said, I want you to interpret my dream. They said, all right, king, tell us what the dream is, and we'll interpret it. He said, that's just the thing. If you're wise enough to interpret my dream, you're wise enough to tell me what the dream was. And he wouldn't tell them what the dream was. They were, they're the same fair. <laughs> they said, this, how are we supposed to know what your dream is? And the king says, well, 
If you don't, I'm going to kill all of you guys. Well, Daniel was one of, he was brought into exile. He had been an Israelite, uh, captured in when Babylon had destroyed Israel. He was a man of God. He stood up and he says, God will tell you what your dream is, king. And he, only, he not only told King Nebo what the dream was, he told him the meaning. He said, King, you had a dream and you saw a big shiny statue and it scared you. He said the statue was standing there with a gold head. It had arms and chest of silver. It had a belly and a, and a torso of bronze. It had legs of iron. And the feet were made out of mixed iron and clay. King Nebo's got his attention. He got King Nebo's attention now. King Nebo's eyes must have been like that because that was his dream. He says, God wants to interpret this dream for you. The gold head that you saw on that statue was you, King Nebo, in the, the kingdom of the Babylonians currently rules the world you are the gold head but he said one will come after you will be the silver kingdom and he began to tell them that they each one represented a kingdom that was to come and as you could tell they went from valuable to less valuable to strength to less strength all the way down each kingdom would be a little bit less and he, he you know this was before any of the other kingdoms, and, and he didn't explain to him who the kingdoms were, but he did tell them that these different pieces of this statue represented kingdoms to come, people who would, for a time, rule the world. Now, we know now, looking back, that the silver kingdom was the Persian Empire that would later overthrow the Babylonians. And you had King Cyrus and all them. And then the bronze represented the Greek Empire. You ever heard of Alexander the Great? That was the time that the, the Greeks ruled the world. And then after that, the, the Iron Legs represented the Roman Empire, which was there at the time that Jesus was crucified, if you remember. They were in charge. The Caesar family. <laughs> the Caesars of that time. Julius Caesar and so forth. But then there's one that hasn't come to pass yet. Because after the Roman Empire, there hasn't been a world-dominating kingdom. There hasn't been a man who ruled the world. You may say, well, what about Hitler? He tried. Yeah, he did. But he didn't succeed. But the Bible tells us that the, the feet, a mixture of iron and clay, will be kingdoms to come that be loosely held together because, see, iron and clay don't mix well. But it'll be the kingdom ruled by what we know as the Antichrist in the end times, this one world government that you hear about, this end times Antichrist. And it wasn't Hitler. Hitler did not rule the world. He was an Antichrist, but he wasn't the Antichrist. And Jesus said in, in Matthew 24 that in the end times, right, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, all these things. But that's just the beginning of birth pains. 
We in our lifetime, well, some of our lifetime, I wasn't really here, but in our in our recent memory, let's just put it like that, we've had World War One, World War Two. The world has been tumultuous in this last century and continues to start that way in this new century in which we live. These are the birth pains that are working towards the arrival of this Antichrist that will rule and reign this kingdom of iron and clay. Well, everybody wants to know. Who's the Antichrist you're going to tell us, Pastor? I don't know. I've had my suspicions. <laughs> but I don't think we will know who the Antichrist is. Well, Pastor, he, he's going to rule the world. How will we not know who he is? Because I don't think we'll be here. And let me explain. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if I piqued anybody's interest this morning, or if I'm just telling you stuff you professional Christians already know. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 3 through 8. Now, you've got to understand the, Thessal the church in Thessalonica, they had somebody tell them that the second coming of Christ had already happened. And they were, what, we got left? <laughs> we got left behind. They were upset. So Paul had to write them a letter. And before I read this, let me explain something to you real quick. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are two different things. Often when we read passages that, refer to one another, we kind of lump them in and we think, is that when Jesus comes back? Well, yeah, both of them are. But the rapture of the church, Jesus stops in the cloud and he says, come up hither. And he brings the church to heaven for a seven-year period. And then there's the tribulation period of seven years down here on the earth where there's no Christians. <laughs> you don't want to be here for that. But then at the end of those seven years, the church comes back with Jesus, and it's the second coming of Christ, and then Jesus has the battle of Armageddon, you may have heard of that, where he destroys the wicked, destroys the, uh, the enemies of God. So it's two different events, the rapture of the church, and then the second coming of Christ. So that'll help you as I read this passage. Verse 3 says, don't be fooled by what they say. They had written that letter that had them fooled. For that day, meaning the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back to destroy the enemies, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. That is the Antichrist. That is the one who will be ruling and reigning at the time of Jesus' second coming. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can only be revealed when the time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. It's already at work, my friend. This lawlessness, this going on, these the true conspiracies that the, the kingdom of darkness is intertwining in daily life, it's going on right now. It's at work secretly. It's, it's a 
It's making sure that the throne of the Antichrist is getting ready. And it goes on to say, it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Why did I say we won't probably know who the Antichrist is? Because the church, my friend, is the one holding him back. It is your prayers. It is your goodness. It is the Holy Spirit in you that keeps darkness at bay. It is the church that is giving this period, that help, help, um, hmm, that is helping facilitate this end time harvest. That is, that is praying and is long-suffering like God is, not willing that any should perish, giving time for sinners to repent. It is the church holding back the full force of darkness that the Antichrist wants to bring in the end times. See how close we are, my friend. See how close we are. And then verse 8 says, The man of lawlessness will be revealed... But the Lord Jesus, oh, I, when you hear that in the Bible, but the Lord Jesus, you know something good is about to happen. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. I mean, if you're worried about it, the devil has never been a threat to God. Certainly not some little antichrist that he puts here on the earth. It's just his breath is going to destroy him. Just his glory when he arrives is going to destroy the Antichrist. Until then, the church has authority. Are we walking in the authority that God has given us as a church? Do we understand it? Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus is saying, I am building a church, and the devil will not win. I am building a church, a true church, that all the powers of hell will not conquer he says, I will give you the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, believers, you have the authority of the church. You have authority in God. He has given you authority to, to pray in his name, to pray in his name. Are you hearing me? To declare in his name. To stand and your goodness be a wall that says darkness can come no further. What he doesn't need right now is for the church to be in panic like the rest of the world. You know, that would be embarrassing to our Lord. <laughs> you parents know what I mean. You're in Walmart and your kid's acting a fool. It's like, I taught you better than this. Now you, you're embarrassing me. Have you ever watched a, like a fight that breaks out in an NBA game or at a baseball game? You know how they clear the benches and they make such a... 
big deal about it. But everybody's holding their own players back, you know. And, and oftentimes, one player's in a fight with the player on the other team. Or you may see this on some videos today. It might be people just fighting in the community or something. I often see a guy's getting in a fight, and he's trying to stick up for his wife or something. His wife is trying to hold him back, and she's getting in between. Meanwhile, the other guy's just going over the top of his wife's head and just clocking him while his wife's holding him back. And I'm thinking, that ain't right. I told my wife, look, baby, if, if it ever comes to it, you stay out of the way. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Men, God knows what he's doing. There is a fight. There is a war. We don't need to be in the middle of it trying to tie God's hands. And I'll just say, many of you are asking, when are we going to get back together in church and all this? Some of you are saying, we need to hurry up. This thing is crazy. I don't believe that this, this, or that. And some of you are saying, I'm not coming back. <laughs> what are we going to do, Pastor? What are we going to do? Well, I will say this. The enemy would love to drag this shelter-in-place thing out until he lulls the church to sleep. He would. But there are really people dying. There is a real pandemic. Whether it was man-made or who, who did it, I don't know. But people really are dying. And so we have to use wisdom. We need to be praying. We need to be sincere and, and not just write it off as a conspiracy theory while people really are on ventilators. We'll be reasonable. The Bible tells us to follow the authorities because they're given by God. And we want to do all that we can to, to be obedient. We don't want to be rebellious just for the sake of being rebellious. That's not the church. But I will say this, we do follow a higher power. A higher authority. And when God says it's time to meet, we will. And we will not let the devil drag this out until our church just disintegrates. We will be, get back together when the time is right, and we'll be listening to God's voice, and we will do it. So there's your answer. I don't know exactly when. You remember after Jesus was resurrected, he showed himself to his disciples? They were all gathered together. In one room, and they saw Jesus. It's Jesus. I saw him die. I saw him die. I did too. There he is. He's standing there right now. And everything that he had told them before just came back to him. Faith just rose up. Oh, my goodness. Now they were willing to die for Christ. Their faith was strengthened. He was able to tell them what's to come. He's He's saying, here's what I want you to do. They're listening. They got the game plan. But there was one guy missing. Now, I don't know where Thomas was. I don't know why he was laying out of church that day when Jesus showed up. But what do they call Thomas in the Bible? In the Bible? Doubting Thomas. Maybe a lesson to be learned from that. I want to say this. Many of you understand the seriousness of the times in which we live, and you're tuned in today, and you're tuned in to God maybe stronger than you were before this happened. But some, uh, some people have used this opportunity 
to say, well, since we're not meeting together, I'm not going to church. Uh, you know, I'm not doing all that video stuff. I'm not t- tuning in. I'm, I'm not going to take any extra steps to try to work on my Christianity to be there with what God has to say. And let me say this. Pastors all over the nation are praying all week long to be able to bring you what God wants you to hear that week, and you're not even showing up. You scare me that your faith could be so easily derailed at the first sign of any trouble oh, I'm just going to use that as an opportunity to to not go to church or not to give my tithes or not to give to the church or not to, to, to honor my commitment to the Lord. You scare me. You scare me. I think more than you scare me, I'm scared for you. I'm sorry. You know, when I... When I make a bold statement like that, the people that need to hear it aren't watching anyway. <laughs> They're not even watching, but you are. Just tell them I said it. God has ordained that in these end times, certain things must take place, just like when he prophesied through the dream to King Nebo. God has already ordained that there will be a certain amount of things that's going to happen. There's nothing that we can do about it. We can't stop it even if we want to. God's will will be accomplished. God asked us as the church to do two things. We have a lane that he has appointed for the church as believers, things that we are to do. The victory is God, you understand. Jesus was the one that went to the cross. Jesus was the one that was resurrected. But he just asked the disciples to do a little bit, to do their part. And as Christians, we're asked to do two great things. The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Many people in the church in America today can say, I do the Great Commandment. I just hadn't done any of that Great Commission stuff yet. Have you really done the Great Commandment if you don't do the Great Commission? Jesus said, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. I don't mean to be hard today, but this is what the Lord gave me. The church. Let me put it like this. The world is like the Titanic. It's always been on the way down. And we have busied ourselves Setting up deck chairs on a sinking ship. But really our job as Christians, the crew on this Titanic, is to get people into the lifeboats as fast as possible in this emergency. In this dire situation. Our Would it be prudent... 
for the crew to begin a focus study group to study the incompetence of the captain at this point, at this juncture. But that's what we do as Christians. We leave the message and we go say, well, pastor really missed it this morning. They study the incompetence of the captain. Or they'll put together a focus group to study the design flaws of the ship. Oh, I don't like the way the church is doing this. I don't like that. That's a bad idea. Or they'll follow the money trail right back to the white star lines and say, aha. Yeah, see? But this is not the time for that. And maybe we're not the one to do those inquiries. Maybe we're to do what we were paid to do. What our job is to do is to get people on the lifeboat to save lives in the middle of this emergency situation. Now, if you watched the Titanic, you saw that many of them panicked. Some of them just wanted to save themselves. But many of them were simply incompetent. They didn't know how to work the lifeboats. Do you know how to get someone to Christ? Do you even know how to help someone get on the lifeboat? Could you save a soul if God gave you the opportunity? And if you can't, whose fault is that? Is it mine? They sent out lifeboats half empty. While people perished in the cold, cold water. And then you had some of the workers that only wanted to save a certain class of people. Well, let's just keep those third-class passengers down below while we get the more important people on the lifeboats. Are you kidding me? Who made us that judge between who we want to be saved and who we don't? Are we like Jonah, upset because Nineveh got saved? Are we saying, well, I don't want these people to get saved because they've been in jail. I don't want these because their skin color is different than me. I don't have a lot of hair left, as I've been seeing on some of my videos. But I think I'm about to pull the rest of it out. Should I do it right now? My friends, I think it's that there may still be time for us to whip a crew into ship shape. There may still be time. I know this, that sinners will be sinning and saints ain't. You shall know a tree by its fruit. Sinners by nature will be sinning and saints ain't. Any confusion on that? So while it's interesting to talk about end times, who we think the Antichrist may be, what these 
money men are doing behind the scenes. I think it would be better if we simply obeyed what the good master left us in charge of. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus said, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment that he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. And I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them and put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. Oh, what a feast that'll be. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Victory is the Lord's, my friend. It's assured. It's a done deal. When Jesus was resurrected, our victory was assured. But as believers, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. We're like Peter. We want to pull out a sword. We want to sleep through the prayer, but we want to pull out a sword later. And we want to fight in the natural. And Jesus is like, no, no, my friend. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. The sword I'm talking about is my word. Spoken out of your mouth in love. In faith. Three things. Obedience. Faith and prayer that God requires of us. Speaking to King Nebo in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel goes on to explain what will happen to those kingdoms of the world, those who sought for a time to be rulers. In verse 34, he says, As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay. Now he's talking about this end time one world government ruled by the Antichrist. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue, now he's talking about the rest of the kingdoms, was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold, and the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. That's what all the kingdoms of this world will amount to, nothing. But the rock, and that is our Lord Jesus, that knocked down the statue became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And if you go on down a few verses to verse 44, it says, During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. You see, while they're playing earth down here, God is setting up an everlasting, eternal, heavenly kingdom. He will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. And that is the meaning of the rock cut out of the mountain. Though not by human hands, 
that crushed to pieces the statues of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and the meaning is certain. It's certain to happen. You don't have to worry, does God win? It is a certainty, my friend, that the kingdoms of this world will be dispersed like chaff on the threshing floor, and the breath of our Lord will destroy his enemies. Revelations 19, verses 11 through 14, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, that's me and you, my friend. That's what he's assembling, armies of heaven. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on a white horse, on white horses. You follow him now, you'll get to follow him later. Did you hear what I said? You follow him now, you get to follow him later. How do I know the church is going to be raptured before the second coming of Christ? Because we had to go up there to come back down with him. Follow him now, my friend, so that you don't miss the rapture. And you get to come back with him when he comes to destroy the enemies of God. Jesus explained to his disciples what was to come. He told them what their part was. But he won the victory. The victory is the Lord's. And he's asking you today, can you not pray with me one hour? Stay awake so you don't fall into temptation. The devil wants to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Stay awake, my friends. Stay awake. Bow your head and close your eyes. Oh, Father, give us eyes that see, not eyes that slumber. Give us a heart to do your will, not a heart that thumps for ir irrelevant things. Father God, help us to come together, not fall apart. Help us to build our life on the rock and not on the shakable kingdom of this earth. Father, if there's those that are fading away from the church right now, I call them to repentance in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's sinners within the sound of my voice, admit your sin and repent and turn to the Lord your God. Get on the lifeboat with us. We plead in the name of Jesus, get on the lifeboat with us that your soul might be saved. You say, how do I do that? You simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins.
I repent. That means I turn from them and I turn to you. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me. I want to follow you. That's all he's ever asked, my friend. Father, give them a heart to do this today. Holy Spirit, tug on that heart strings until they can't resist the love that was shown on that cross. If you've prayed that prayer, you made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. His Spirit will meld with your spirit so that your spirit will be strong enough to endure, to overcome, to rise into the victory to which you were called. If you need healing in your body, if you need financial help, you're depressed and oppressed and the, 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 the forces of darkness have come, overtaken you and you feel hopeless and helpless, I want you to reach out to someone in this church or someone that you know that follows Jesus. But in the meantime, I want you to pray yourself and say, God, deliver me in the name of Jesus. Deliver me from what I've allowed my life to be. Help my heart beat for you. You created me. You have sustained me. You have held me when I have run from you. You have loved me when I didn't love myself and I didn't love anybody else. When I've made a wreck of my life, you have never left me or, or given up on me. And I need you, Jesus. You see, if the power of God won't come into your life, if the wisdom that he gives you won't begin to bring around a resurrection in your life, my friend, God loves you. God loves you. He's always loved you. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. Father, we pray these things. We pray that these things happen. We pray that these hearts are being mended. They're set right with you. That no one within the sound of my voice would leave here today lost and hopeless. Father, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would resurrect us to a mighty force on this earth that prays and stays listen and obeys. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.